You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. Say hello to my little friend. To infinity and beyond. Like tears in rain. On Wednesdays we wear pink. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. Here's looking at you, kid. You talking to me? You're gonna need a bigger boat. You'll always have Paris. And welcome back to the fourth and final bonus edition of Films and Friends. My name's Josh. I am still, as ever, joined by Tobias. I am still here, yes. <laughs> and we are once again not joined by a guest, unfortunately. Sadly not. But we do have, as we said, a bonus episode. So we... we, we Yes, we ran out of ideas. We're going to be honest up front with you. We knew we wanted to do a Christmas special. We knew we were going to do a decade in review. We thought, hey... Talking about film in Manchester, show how much we love the scene, get people, you know, in the know. That's good. What do we do for the last one? So for the last one, what I decided to do on the bus on the way here was to Google and find a random adjective generator on the internet. And we are going to basically say our picks for the most adjective film. So the current one isn't a very good example. It's um, the most excited film. Most excited? The most excited film. Uh, Crank. Yes. <laughs> crank for, with Jason Statham. Yes, that's a very good shout. Would you like to explain to people what Crank is? Because I actually didn't know this film existed until I heard it referenced on a TV show and thought, that can't be real. So Looked it up. I haven't seen Crank or Crank 2. High voltage. But, yeah, Crank, high voltage, that's one. But the way I found out about it was someone on, uh, I, I don't know, someone online posted a link to a scene where Jason Statham bumps into these bad guys he squares up to fight them, and it's like a Power Rangers transition, and he becomes giant as well as well as bad guys, and everything becomes a miniature scale, so it basically becomes like a Godzilla um, kaiju fight. Um, yes, the tone is absurd, because it's about, if I'm not mistaken, a guy who gets injected with a poison that will kill him if his heart rate goes below a certain percentage. So he realizes that he has to keep his heart rate up by doing all sorts of crazy stuff. I think it's adrenaline. He has Adre to keep his adrenaline, adrenaline above specifically. a set point, yeah. So he's, I don't know, like stealing cars and shooting bad guys and then, you know, uh, yes, sex. It, it, it's a bit mad, I think. And the second one, as we sort of teased before, with the subtitle High Voltage. So following the events of the first film, he gets kidnapped and they... Uh, put a pacemaker into him where he must get like electrically shocked every 30, 30 seconds or something. What? So there's bits where he like, hooks himself up to car batteries. That, that's, that's the second it. One. I need to watch Crank. They sound incredible. I think actually, I think they're actually supposed to be quite decent in terms of they are so ludicrous that they actually work. Yeah, I, but totally. When you, when you present a concept like that, you kind of have to be aware, right? Because yeah, definitely. Because there's no way you can be serious about Keep your adrenaline up or you die. Or getting electric shocked every 30 seconds or else you also die. <laughs> it, what's the Cards Against Humanity card? Like 3,000 volts straight to the nipples? Oh, God, yeah, that, that's bad. the card. There you go. It's that card of the film. It's a particularly horrible bit in um, Slumdog Millionaire when they uh, torture Dev Patel by attaching a car battery to his feet. Oh, that's quite a grim God. scene. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've not seen Slumdog Millionaire, actually. Oh, it's fantastic. Really? Oh, it's so, so good. It's probably one of my favourite films of the 2000s. And definitely uh, well deserve a best picture. J um, so just 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 crank. I just looked it up on Letterboxd, and the image for crank high voltage is Jason Statham holding open his uh, jacket, and he has yeah uh, the the 
the clip for the car battery attached to his tongue and he's kind of grimacing and yeah he's basically hooking himself up to a car battery nice so um <laughs> shall we move on to our next uh, random adjective go for it which is the most selfish film I'm going selfish. to go for the most selfish film. Well, I don't think selfish, maybe self-indulgent film. I'm going to go for... Oh, I got it. The Hateful Eight. Hateful Eight. Yeah. Self-indulgent. Just, More than Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Uh, I thought that maybe, but the alternative history bit at the end of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I do actually quite like. See, and I don't think Hateful Eight is quite self, like self-indulgent. Why do you think it is? It's just so long and sort of just drawn out, and it's like, oh, well, we sort of couldn't do... I don't know, it just seems like it just didn't... I just don't feel like... It's definitely not up to the same calibre as the rest of his films. And I think... Because there are... There's one thing about Quentin Tarantino is he can write good dialogue. Obviously, that's what he's famous for. He's famous for being... And it. that film is essentially all dialogue. Exactly. And I think that's, I think that's the point where it became self-indulgent in the okay. sense that he thought that his dialogue could carry a three-hour film just with dialogue. Okay. And I don't think he can. Fair. I, I quite enjoyed a lot of the dialogue. Um, and... My brother, who loves westerns, loved it um, because it's kind of like a post-western mm. almost. So, uh, if if you've ever heard or um, done any you know research of about post X scene uh, um, like genres, uh, it's it's that when the oversaturation happens and it's all dying down, it kind of gets re- revamped. Usually happens immediately after mm. um, the genre. So you had post-punk and uh, post-rock is a thing you've got now post-pop um and in film it's it's not really talked about that one i mean it's not really a thing to have post something genres but um i'd say this is kind of like a post-western it it Mm. very much is aware of how silly westerns are how how they're but can also be very melodramatic but i thought that django probably did that better I think Django is arguably... Because I think that's probably... I think Django may be the last Quentin Tarantino film I fully enjoyed. It it is fantastic. That's brilliant. And I think there's... Yeah, there's no part of that film I didn't really like. Whereas as much as I, in the end, I did end up liking Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I thought that there are quite a lot of bits that I just didn't didn't gel with me. And I think I said it on the podcast before. I might have said it. I've said it somewhere before that, basically... Uh, I don't believe that it would have got such a um, good critical reception if the ending hadn't been so strong. Yep. And I think, obviously, I think it dips a lot during the middle. And if it hadn't, if you weren't walking out the, the cinema on that buzz of like, I can't believe that just happened, because the ending is incredibly good. Yeah. I don't think it would have been received nearly as well. Absolutely. And this reminds me of a video I watched this week. So a YouTube channel I quite like is Pony Smasher. Pony Smasher is the YouTube channel of, I can't remember his name, but he is uh, the director of Lights Out, the short and the long film, uh, Annabelle Creation, and uh, Shazam. And he's someone who now knows the film industry inside and out. And he was he made a video about um, things you learn while making films. And he was saying that, that yeah, basically, what, one of the things he was saying is that films are kind of like a miracle. The fact that you get to watch a film at the cinema means that everyone there went through hell and back. There is no such thing as an easy film. Uh, it's like every single element is working to not work together. Um, but one of the things he said was a good ending. A good ending can amend so many faults in a mm-hmm. film. Yeah. And yeah, I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I do like the ending. And that's basically the only thing I like about it. 
Yeah, I was thinking, trying to think of other scenes in the film, like to say I wouldn't get rid of that scene. But the only thing that really sticks in my head is the really sort of the really tense bit when he first meets the uh, Manson family, Brad Pitt does, and also the ending. Yep. So there's that. So what would be your pick for the most selfish slash self-indulgent film of so all time? So selfish slash self-indulgent is a director because of one film that I, I just I cannot stand and I've tried watching some of his other films and I can't. Darren Aronofsky's Mother. Fair. That's a good shout. I, I watched Mother and I was like, this is just weird. And it's just, it's trying too hard. And I get to the end of it, I'm like, was that all biblical symbolism? Hmm. <laughs> I look it all up, and it is, and it's very much on the nose. Yeah. I was just like, can't be. Can't be that on the nose. But it is. And the, th the whole film feels like I'm so brilliant because I'm so metaphorical. And honestly, I'm someone who doesn't enjoy biblical symbolism in a lot of things. I just think it's like overdone and just not very creative. It's just kind of like a thing you can go for because of it, how broadly understood it is. And yeah, the film is just... It's just... It's that, as I said, it's just, yeah, it feels like I'm, I can make such a deep metaphor. Look at me. What other Darren Aronofsky... He did um, Black Swan, Black Swan yeah. Which I, I yeah, I, I rarely, you know, pick up a film and don't finish it, but I didn't, because I was just like, it's just mm. not interesting. That's fair. And it made it onto the best of the decade films yeah, that we made. Yeah, someone put that down, uh, yeah. Yeah, Jamal put that as his favourite of the decade. And I won't knock it, I do understand that Aronofsky, there is a time and a place for his films that... Not time and place... There are people who enjoy his films. Yes, of course. And I just don't. I just think he's so self-indulgent. I think it's definitely one of those situations, and I have that with certain filmmakers as well, where you can tell on a critical level, the films are brilliantly well made. They could be they could be well written. They're sort of the cinematography is good, music's good. It comes together as a perfect piece, really, on a critical level. But on a personal level, you just don't like gel with it. Yeah. And I think there are certain, um, yeah, there obviously are certain um, directors for me as well that sort of have I have that effect. Which is perhaps a, more of a criticism of myself being unwilling to put myself in that place to enjoy it than perhaps a criticism of them as a director. Yeah, yeah, it, it, I, I, I do get that. It's, yeah, it's a funny one when, it, when, if, when someone's work doesn't just click with you. So I think it's probably time to go on to our next word, which is sticky. Ooh. How can you... I don't know how we're going to relate that to film. This is really just a test of our transitions to sort of see Maybe how well we can get... Maybe what film sticks the most in your mind. What film sticks the most in my mind? Yeah. Um, sticks most in my mind. I think it would have to be something like... So anything with like a lot of kind of... Anything really graphic. Anything like disturbing and stuff that sticks in my mind. And I think I've, talk, I've talked about it before. Assassination Nation. That film sticks in my mind just because the amount of absolute gore and just really disturbing scenes... That sort of really sort of springs to mind when I sort of think about what's the most what's the most like I think we talked about on what the podcast with your brother we talked about the most <clears throat> disturbing acts of cinematic violence yes and stuff like that they're the films that really do stick in my mind like all the um, I think we've mentioned as well the torture scene from Casino Royale yes that one's that's horrific it's just anything any kind of like brutal violence sort of really sticks in my mind I think and also as I said before I sort of talk about a length whenever we bring up horror is anything about body horror related yeah. I just, those kind of images I can't seem to get out of my head. Those kind of things. Yeah, no, I get that. I get that. Yeah, horror horror can stick with you uh, for a long time. Um, but I'm trying to think, yeah, what films that stick with me? I'd say the one that's stuck with me my whole life is the one that I talk about a lot. It's uh, The Italian Job. Yeah. I just like how timeless it is. And, and it, yeah, sure, it's my personal um, uh, connection to it. The fact that I watched it so much as, as I was a kid, and and my you know I I, can't, I don't tire from watching it, but 
it just does stick in my mind because I do think of it. I do go back to it. I'm like, but what's as good as the Italian job? Mm. <laughs> but I don't know. What other films? Um, uh, Hereditary stuck with me for a bit. Um, and yeah, at 19 years old, I watched it. So last year. And yeah, I woke up crying <laughs> multiple nights because of the images replaying in my head. It was just so shocking. Mm. Um, yeah, there's that. And then... um actually sticky a film that um i rarely turn off a film after the first few minutes however the one film i did was with my brother it was a film called not called cujo but it was called something like that and it was filmed by flying lotus flying lotus um dj producer made a film which was four short films back to back or something like that you're looking up the name now i should know uh, cujo yeah i'm looking at it now um, is it do with a dog? No, no, no. That, that's the Stephen King film. If you look for oh. um, Flying Lotus film, okay, it, it'll show up. Basically, um, Flying Lotus music um, is electronic. Cuso, oh, Cuso, that's yes. one. And um, his music is a bit trippy. Um, gets really experimental at times, but he has a lot of good stuff. And to give you an idea how how create what kind of headspace he's in, um, in his latest. Uh, album he has a feature uh, well not he has a feature as in David Lynch is featured on a song because he does just like a monologue and that's uh, part of the song and um, yeah basically this film my brother and I were like yeah let's give it a watch we start watching it and I mean this is incredibly graphic um, but the first film I, I, I will tone it down the first scene is like this guy who looks like really grotty and he's got like boils on his face and you know when you look at a scene in the film you're like this I know this smells bad. It was like that. And he's in bed with this girl and he rolls over uh, off on top from her. Um, and he reaches down into the bed sheets um, and grabs a handful of yes and just starts eating it. Grabs a handful of, um, what's it called? A uh, honk. Yeah. Untitled goose noise. Yes, exactly. Nice. And uh, yeah, and uh, my brother and I just looked at each other and we were like, no. This is... No, you're trying too hard. Yep, I'm currently looking at the um, plot summary on Wikipedia, and there are four different films, and I've kind of skimmed them all, and they all look absolutely horrific. Yeah, so... uh, Did that stick in my head? Not really. Is it sticky? Yeah. Okay, so next word, we have the most obscene film you've ever seen. (sighs) Probably that one. (laughs) Probably that, yeah. Probably that. Probably that. What's the most obscene film you've ever seen, though? Most obscene film? Um, I don't know. The Jackass, some of those. But the what, the Sweatsuit Cocktail, that is pretty horrendous. Oh, that is, is that from that's from one of the films, not the TV series, isn't it? Um, yeah, it, it is from the films. Yeah, I that's think so. That's probably the worst one out of all. I find that I can't, like... Oh, I really, like, to be fair, like, I remember when I first got Netflix when I was about 13, all of the Jackass films were on there. So I've seen oh, them all so many times. Brilliant. And the only one I can't physically stand, the only stunt I can't physically stand to watch is the sweatsuit cocktail. I, I never enjoyed Jackass. To, to explain what that is to anyone who doesn't know what that is, and I don't know why I'm explaining this, but it's horrible. Uh, so um, in Jackass, there's a guy they have called Preston Lacey, and the whole sort of... Um, the premise of his sort of character in inverted commas and jagger is he's quite a large man. So what they do with him is they uh, cover him in a cling film and make him run on a treadmill for I ages. This. So the cling film collects his sweat and they make another man drink it and 
they're just vomit absolutely everywhere and it is terrible obscene no the, the one funny jackass scene i saw and, and honestly actually kind of made me laugh so one of them which is just like shock value when you're like 13 you're like that's funny is um this guy's like dancing with rollerblades and it's like you shouldn't rollerblade in a bull ring and then oh, a you bull can't roll, no you can't roller skate in a buffalo herd yeah and then yeah. this bull just out of nowhere completely rams him I think he breaks three ribs something it's crazy yeah. but the one that made me laugh is um these guys I think they're like they're in Italy as well like they were they were somewhere where they didn't speak the language and they find a Hot Wheels toy and a condom and one of the guys puts it up his butt Oh yeah, that's and they yeah. take him to the hospital, <laughs> yeah. and they're like, and they're like, the thing? like they can't talk. They're just like you know mumbling as they're like pointing at this guy, and the the, the doctors are like, we need an X-ray, I guess. <laughs> so they X-ray his hips, and then the the face of the doctor as he walks out with the X-ray is and you just yeah gold. That one, that one is still funny. Yeah, that is a good one. Um, there are other horrendously disgusting ones. There's one where they get the guy with the longest fingernails in the world and he's an Indian guy and they pour a beer down his fingers and obviously they're not very well cleaned and the oh, guy in the no. ground drinking it just vomits everywhere. It's horrible. So oh, yeah, this podcast is also probably our most obscene effort. So it might be. We're yeah. doing quite well. So our next word is... <laughs> yeah. So the, the next one we won't do because the next one's filthy and it's pretty much exactly the same as the last one. Yeah, we'll go for that again. Uh, the most unbecoming film... Jackass again, probably. <laughs> unbecoming? Yeah. I'm thinking on the coming film. Uh, I'm trying to think what the word unbecoming means now. That's quite just how uncultured we are. That's quite a difficult one to do. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like unwelcoming kind of films. Something like yeah, Jackass is pretty unwelcoming. Yeah, not flattering. Yeah, just unbe- Yeah, not flat. Yeah, I'm trying to think because I was thinking of, of, of films that are, are kind of forgettable, but no. Um. Um. Yeah, not welcoming, I'd say... What about films where the trailer makes it seem like a horrendously, sort of, um, a horrendously problematic film? That's oh. probably a good shout. Yeah, that's a good shout. But I, I say more stuff like, um, more obscure cinema, so stuff like Tarkovsky. Mm. Which, it, it's, it, it's kind of like dense poetry, where yeah. you need to have studied it to be able to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say any film that falls into that genre, basically, because I... Yeah, I don't think I've ever put in the effort to study film to watch it. Um, I have done a film studies course and I have to study films and watch them, yes. Mm. But as in, in my own time, go, oh, I'm going to sit down and, and no, not at all. Yeah, I think that's probably the best way of summing up I'm coming and I think we'll quickly move on to the next word before I reveal that yeah. I don't know a lot about literature. <laughs> uh, the most warlike film. Warlike film. And I think, uh, actually, we've talked about this at length as well, actually, the sort of films that are uh, the most realistic depiction of war we've sort of we talked before about Dunkirk Dunkirk um, Children of Men mm, that's a good that film has, yeah it has a lot of one shots and specifically one of the final scenes in the film which isn't a spoiler um, the main character is making his way through an actual battle happening in a city and it's very gritty and realistic mm. um, he, he yeah people it's not you know like it isn't that the bad guys are missing all their shots and the good guys land all their shots and then it takes 20 shots to kill someone. No, no, these are soldiers that, you know, they're peeking over, shooting what they can, shooting at nothing. Like, it's how war is. Yeah. So, yeah, for, uh, Children of Men, for sure. Um, I think what, the only thing I would say about it is um, come back to me after I've seen 1917 that I'm very excited for. I am very excited for 1917. That that might be realistic. That might be a bit pushy. Well, we'll see. 
Well, I've had a lot, I mean, to be fair, like, I've had a lot of reviews that say, oh, it's the next Saving Private Ryan, but that really is the go-to war film, isn't it? It's like, yeah. you're, you're going to say that, aren't you? Like, it's not going to be Black Hawk Down, just now. Yeah. It's, yeah. Um, one film that, uh, yeah, is very warlike and not specifically about combat, uh, They Shall Not Grow Old. Hmm. We've, yeah, we've talked about that one as well. We've that film as well, yeah. It, 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 for those of you not familiar with it, uh, Peter Jackson of uh, Lord of the Rings fame um, made a documentary, uh, well, made worked on a documentary which colorized black and white footage from the First World War. And they had lip readers come in and, and, and guess what the people were saying so they could then dub on voices to what these men were saying. The footage was um, sped up and slowed down because hand-cranked footage wasn't at a constant, you know, frames per second. And they, yeah, it was, it's just really humanizes um the first world war yeah there's something definitely to be said about the f how much more visceral it makes it when it's colorized yeah i think we did discuss that on our war sort of themed sort of discussion on i think it was like the second or yeah third with your brother as well, wasn't it i must have been yeah. yeah um i i still haven't seen the film but i've seen more clips of it since um it's it, there's there's almost no combat in there right or is there not really it's just more just like soldiers hanging out yeah uh, like before and after yeah, yeah. combat. So yeah, so I, we can stuff. say that's warlike. That's yeah. probably very warlike. Uh, next word we have is quaint. Quaint. Oh, I have a perfect answer for that. I watched a Moonrise Kingdom for the first time last night. Oh. And that film is extremely quaint. Is it? Yes, very nice. Very, very nice little... um. Anyways, Anderson film's quaint though, really. Yeah, it was Anderson has a very quaint vibe. That's what probably why he's my favourite director. Because I yeah. really like those kind of like... But no, um, Moonrise Kingdom is just really, really nice. It's uh, it's very like, sort of like the story itself is. There are elements of it that are quite dark, but it always keeps itself above that sort of like. That's cool. Going to actual darkness, and it is sort of like it does tell like a quite nice sort of cohesive story. But at the same time, it never really goes. It goes really sort of dark. So it's yeah. just it's quite nice. It's it, like I, was, I think I watched it last night quite late as well. So it's just quite a nice kind of. I'll watch this for a few hours. Yeah. And I just get to sleep. I think, um, in of recent memory, uh, One Cut of the Dead, a Japanese film about um, a zombie B-movie and how it got made, um, but a one-take live film that they were doing for some TV show. Um, and it's, it is quaint, because the, the zombie movie itself is very cheesy. Mm. The film as a whole is about working together as a team and being able, you know, if you dream it, you can do it. Um, it's wholesome, it's feel-good, and by the end of it, you're like, this film never ever tried to, like, push it too much, which, I'm sorry, as much as I love Disney films, and even Pixar films, some of them are a bit too much, like, the later Toy Story ones are a bit too much, it's like, but you gotta feel good and feel emotions, this is more like, this is just a happy story. Yeah, I, I think there'll be a lot, there is probably criticism towards some films of being one note and stuff, but I think some films do actually genuinely benefit from that. And having not too many complex ideas in them, if it's done well, that can actually be even... It's always more satisfying than a film with lots of messages. And I think maybe Toy Story is a good example of that. If you think the first Toy Story very has a very very simple plot and message, whereas, obviously, as animation's got been able to be more complicated, the Toy Story films have got more convoluted in their narratives. Yeah, so there's and something about not franchising a film, a film that knows where it starts and where it ends, and that's what it is, and... This is a story, you know, that take it at face value. That That is when a film's quaint. So just before we finish, I think we should just do some really quick-fire ones. Okay. Without any explanation, even. Uh, so, okay, first one. Fighters so, in the comments. Plucky. 
Plucky. Plucky film. Uh, I'm going to go for the... Uh, so I think it was DreamWorks, it has Hugh McGregor in, it was uh, based uh, World War II carrier pigeons called Valiant. Valiant. That's uh, what I'm going for. I'm going to go for birds and say uh, Chicken Little. Very nice. Next one. Tremendous. Tremendous. Oh, Grand Bay Best Hotel, obviously. Tremendous. I'm going to say Drive. And one more. Stingy. Ooh. Stingy film. A film that made you feel robbed of your time and money. Batman vs. Superman. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, um, yeah. Batman vs Superman is probably the best. Probably, yeah. It's just, just. Why did he do this? Yeah, I think what <laughs> the most robbed of time I've ever had. Like, well, films you've really looked forward to that have just ended up being absolute like adaptations of f- favorite stuff. Um, I can't really think of really. Uh, oh, um, the what's it called? The um second to last Harry Potter film. Yeah, because I was really excited for it, and it was a bit like nothing. Yeah, that was Sinji. Uh, I'm going to say three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, with no other explanation. I'm going to uh, politely disagree. But I think that's it for this, and that is the last of our bonus episodes, so we will be back next week with a actual friend for the first time in ages. Yeah. But yeah, I hope this has been something uh, slightly enjoyable. And Yeah, and if you'd like more bonus episodes, let us know, because honestly, we, we can squeeze them in. And also, if um, you do have another format that is presumably better than this, uh, feel free to let us know because you're doing stuff like this. It's kind of fun. We will take audience suggestions. We will. So uh, if you want to contact us, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Josh Sandy and on Instagram at Josh W Sandy. And all my social media is twice or so. Follow me uh, and uh, argue with me. Slide into the DMs. Slide into the DMs to argue with me and say why I'm an idiot for not liking three billboards. So we'll see you next week. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. See you all soon.